Good morning. Uh, my name's Charlie. I am the other minister here. Um, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It is great to have you with us. Uh, for Advent this year, we are looking at some big ideas. We're actually looking at some big words. And we're looking at what they might mean for us. Andy last week looked at judgment. Today we are looking at justice, then incarnation and salvation. I have to say, I thought Andy did a fantastic job last week. I really enjoyed and appreciated that, Andy. Thank you. And I think the big point that I got out of Andy last week was this idea of judgment as truth-telling. Judgment as exposing that which is hidden to the light. So that that which we do in secret gets exposed to the light. And it is a moment of truth. Truth-telling as judgment. But of course, once the truth has been told, there is the follow-up question of what about justice? What does justice look like once the truth has been exposed to the light? It's amazing the way children have an innate sense of fairness, isn't it? I mean, this is, the, this is my three. Before Sophia was born, so this is three of our four. Um, very little, watching TV together. And it was amazing how much they, you know, if, if so-and-so has watched TV, then I get to watch a programme, don't I too, Daddy? This innate sense of fairness that if one of them got something, the others should get it as well. And I don't think we ever taught them that. I don't think that's anything, perhaps, they, it just seems to be this innate sense of fairness that develops within children. And the word justice, part of its root is from this Latin word justice, justice, which means fair or equitable. So the word itself, justice, is about this concept of fairness. But I think actually to the modern hearer, when we hear the word justice, we actually have another image in mind. This is the film The Justice League. And as you'll know if you've seen it, their role is to mete out justice on people who deserve it. So justice has become this idea of punishment they are going to get their just desserts. They are getting justice, Judge Dredd style. The justice that is coming to them. And in popular consciousness, I think when we talk about justice, often what people actually mean is punishment or vengeance. But actually... The question I want to look at today is, as Christians, we should not be shaped by the cultural ideas of justice, should we? We should be shaped by the biblical ideas of justice. So I'm going to take some time this morning to look at what the Bible has to say about justice and how we understand justice in a biblical framework. The Old Testament word for justice is this. The Hebrew word is mishpat or sometimes mishpah. It appears 403 times in the Old Testament. And in a sense, mishpat, justice, in the Hebrew sense, has, has two meanings. 
There is a sense when we would talk about justice as a legal sense of justice. And I caveat all I'm about to say with a deep apology to any lawyers present. I understand this is second year law school, and you can correct me on where I'm wrong. But one of the understandings of mishpat, of justice, in the Old Testament is this idea of legal justice. Somebody has stolen 50 sheep from you, so we need to go and find them, and they need to replay that 50 sheep, possibly with a few extra for the inconvenience that they have caused you. And that gets sorted out in a courtroom or before the judges in the Old Testament. And justice is meted out in the courtroom. But there is a second sense in which the Bible uses the word justice that probably best is encapsulated with the idea of social justice, of standing up for the oppressed, Standing up for the rights of the downtrodden. Standing against injustice. Standing up for those people who have the boot of empire on their neck or a lack of opportunity due to circumstances, race, nationality or other situations or circumstances. And we talk about justice for these people. This is the two senses in which Mishpat is used in the Old Testament. I want to take a quick look at the first one to begin with. This is this idea of legal justice. And there is a debate that goes on again amongst lawyers. It's actually a contemporary debate that still goes on about two forms of legal justice. The first one, and I'm sorry for the long words, but it's just that's what they're called. The first type of legal justice we might describe as retributive That's what I described earlier. Hundreds of sheep have been stolen. Therefore, this person must be brought to justice. They are to pay a fine or they are to replace the hundred sheep, potentially with something else for the inconvenience or for a punitive penalty added on top. But basically, this is about proportional punishment for the crime that has been committed. It's known as retributive justice. But you may have heard this second phrase in recent years, the idea of restorative justice. The emphasis of restorative justice is on healing the broken relationship and restoring people to the community. Now that will inevitably involve some kind of restitution, replacing that which is lost. It may even include some kind of penalty. But the emphasis is not on the penalty. The the emphasis is on what can we do to restore this racial relationship that has been broken by the crime. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Restorative justice. Thank you, Miles. Bless you. I told you, you and I should open a Pentecostal church one day. In restorative justice, the emphasis is on healing that which has been broken on behalf of the injured party, but also there is an emphasis on healing and restoring the perpetrator back into community. It is never about revenge. 
That's why the word proportional is really important. Now, there are stories of people crying for revenge in the Bible. You will find them. The Israelites cry out for revenge on their enemies, crush their children, smash their heads against rocks. Lord, vindicate us, visit your justice and judgment on our enemies. They cry. And we understand that, don't we, when we're injured and when we're hurt. But these cries for revenge are from the people to God. If you look at the way God responds to justice, it is always about this idea of restorative justice. It is not about meeting out vengeance or punishment. God's response is how how does justice restore and heal this community? I put it to you that God is not retributive, punitive and vengeful. That as we discovered when we looked at the book of 1 John, God is love. And therefore that is shot through with all of his values and all of his actions in the world. In the Hebrew scriptures, mishpat, in a legal sense, is always restorative. It is always about healing the wrong that has been broken. Now, sometimes that involves barriers, sometimes that involves new boundaries... Sometimes relationships can't be put back together and you need safe structures. I get that. But it's ultimately how can we heal these two individuals, both of them, and put this situation right. I don't know how many of you watched this on TV. It was a hard watch. It wasn't easy. It was a BBC drama called Time, starring Sean Bean. Um, It included, a, I thought, a fantastic portrayal of restorative justice. It was fantastic because it showed how hard it is. Because the first attempt was an utter disaster. But actually, as the film progressed, you saw this idea of restorative justice working out. And eventually, the the driver of the car and the mother of the victim sat in a cafe saying, we've got a long way to go, but let's try to work this out, shall we? And it was a beautiful picture of restorative justice. But if you're at all squeamish, don't watch it because it was quite hard in the middle. Um, N.T. Wright, in his book, Evil and the Justice of God, says this. God's justice is not simply a blind disposing of rewards for the virtuous and punishments for the wicked. God's justice is a saving, healing, restorative justice. Then he defines it as this. The whole community is committed to naming evil for what it is to addressing and dealing with it, not by shutting people away from the embarrassed eyes all around, but by bringing together offender and victim with their families and friends to look hard and openly at what has happened and agree a way forward. That is one sense of justice in the Bible. But I have to say to you, and that's the one I was going to preach on, that was it, that was my sermon this morning when I had it in my head, But actually, when I began to read and study, nine times out of ten that the word mishpat is used, it is not about that legal sense of justice at all. It is about what we might call social justice. Standing up for the downtrodden, the marginalised, fighting for the rights of those who live within unjust structures, for people for whom poverty through the Romanian system or wherever they find themselves, find themselves at the bottom of the pile 
unable to find their way up. You'll be familiar with this from Micah. This is what God said is good, people of Israel. He has shown you a mortal, what it is, what is good, what the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. To act justly. In fact, this was the inspiration for those values. What would it look like from a Jesus lens? And this idea of justice, standing up for the poor and the oppressed. This is from Zechariah chapter 7. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice, true mishpat. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. And you'll find time and time again in Scripture in the Old Testament that this was sometimes called the quartet of the vulnerable. Are these four people that Israel is called to lift up to show compassion and justice towards the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. This is what Israel is called to be. This is how Israel is called to live. Gustav Gutierrez, who's a theologian from South America and the founder of liberation theology, described it as this. God's preferential option for the poor. That God's calling, God is a God of justice. And that calling on the Israelite people is to stand up for the oppressed. Because God is on their side. And that is where God is to be found and we are to go and stand with them. Still one of my favourite images. If you are going to stand up for justice, it involves a transfer of power. It always does. Those of us that have power and privilege are called to give some of that away to those that don't in order to create a just society. And I cannot think of a better illustration than that cartoon. Secondly, I came across this. Privilege is when you think something is not a problem because you aren't affected personally. Privilege is when you think something is not a problem because you aren't affected personally. This Old Testament idea of mishpat involves making other people's injustice our problem, regardless of whether we are personally affected by it or not. We are called to stand up and champion those who are oppressed. To fight for their cause because they have no voice. We are to lend them our voice. And not just rest in our privilege. The thing is, Israel didn't do it. Israel consistently failed to live up to this calling. In fact, this is Amos, I believe. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your hearts. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. Oh my goodness me. 
That smarts, doesn't it? Forget singing. Forget gathering. Forget your offerings and your piety. That is a stench to me if you are not practicing justice for the downtrodden, says the Lord. Of course, Israel failed to do that. So this idea became to emerge. This idea came through the prophets, particularly through Isaiah, through the reading we had this morning, that there is one who would come. One who would be born. The servant of Israel. The Messiah. And this one would embody this justice of God. Not only speak of it, but would be the very embodiment of a God of justice. God himself born among us. Israel had failed, so the coming Messiah, the servant, will be the embodiment of Israel's call to justice. We heard these words. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Mishpat. He will not shout or cry or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. And it goes on later to say this. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness to embody this justice of God. And then Jesus, on his first visit as an adult to the temple, in Luke's gospel, he unrolls the scroll. He finds the place where it is written and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He has called me to be the servant of God, to embody and live out God's mishpat, God's justice. And that's what he did in healing people. Because to have a disease like leprosy was to put you outside of the community. So to heal was to bring you back into relationship. To say to the unclean, the sinners that were on the edge of society, you are forgiven, welcome back into society. To stand with those who were, suffered injustice, who were marginalised and excluded. Jesus is the very embodiment of God's justice and righteousness. Tom Wright again. This is, not a strange, this is not a piece of strange or arbitrary theology read into the narrative at a later stage. This, the Gospels are telling us, is what it was about all along. Jesus was taking upon himself the direct result of the ways in which God's people had failed in their vocation. Jesus fulfills what, what the Israelite people could not do. In a sense, that's next week's word, isn't it? It's incarnation. And then the death and the resurrection are God's great act of restorative justice. God's great act of mishpat, of healing that which is broken, 
of bringing people back into relationship. The cross is not a divine act of punishment. God is not vengeful and punitive. This is God's great act of restorative justice. Jesus is exposing and disempowering injustice by calling for forgiveness and not revenge. He's restoring Israel and by extension us to a right relationship with God. Tom Wright again. On the cross, Jesus was taking upon himself the direct consequences in the political and theological realm alike of the failure and sin of Israel. He was dying quite literally for their sins. That's the word from the week after. Salvation. So let me try to bring this plane into land. You've been very patient. I I apologise this is more of a lecture than a sermon. I knew that when I was doing it. But sometimes that's the way it comes out. God is a God of justice. A God of mishpat. Restorative justice and social justice. But never a God of revenge. Israel's calling and ours is to act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with God. It is to call to social justice and to righteousness. We fail, don't we? But God forgives and restores us through the cross, sets us back upon our feet and calls us back to the task in hand, the task of the kingdom of God, the task of this justice in his world. If, um, if Andy described judgment as truth, and I guess I'm talking about justice as reconciliation, then you might have heard of the words truth and reconciliation before, have you not? The final time I'll quote Tom Wright today. The fact that such a body, this is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, even exists of it, the fact of such a body even existing, let alone doing the work it has done, is the most extraordinary sign of the power of the Christian gospel in the world in my lifetime. If you want to know what a Christian version of justice looks like, can I commend to you this book? Desmond Tutu, no future without forgiveness. The story of his experience of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. He says this in the opening chapter of the book. One might go on to say that perhaps justice fails to be done only if the concept we entertain of justice is retributive justice, whose chief goal is to be punitive so that the wronged party is really the state. Something, is, something impersonal which has little consideration for the real victims and almost none for the perpetrator. We contend that there is another kind of justice. Restorative justice. Which was characteristic of traditional African, and I would say also Hebrew, jurisprudence. Here the central concern is not retribution or punishment. In the spirit of Ubuntu. The central concern is the healing of breaches, 
the redressing of imbalances, the restoration of broken relationships, a seeking to rehabilitate both the victim and the perpetrator, who should be given the opportunity to be regenerated, reintegrated into the community he has injured by his offence. No one says that's easy. That is really, really hard. And sometimes, let me iterate, it involves boundaries and safe practice. But it is the goal of God's justice. It is the restoration of relationship. I want to finish with these words from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is speaking about King Josiah. King Josiah was one of the rare righteous kings of Israel. It is said of King Josiah that he defended the cause of the poor and needy and so all went well with him. Then, Josiah, then Jeremiah says these haunting words. Is that not, not what it means to know me? declares the Lord. Not if you do this, then you will know me. But to defend the cause of the poor and the needy is what it means to know me. Let's pray. Father God, you call us to the, poor, to the plight of the poor and the oppressed, to the excluded and to the marginalised, not as an adjunct to the gospel, but as absolutely central to what you call us to do. Jesus, to who you were as you walked on this earth and to your death and resurrection on the cross and from the garden tomb. Lord, help us as we, have, as we enjoy such privilege and such power to be conscious and intentional in fulfilling your call to Mishpat and welcoming in and reaching out to and sharing our resources with the oppressed, the marginalised, the poor, the widow, the orphan. Because this is what it means to know God, people. And we want to know God, don't we? Amen.